Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Girly Homesteader podcast. Today I am talking all about my favorite things from the month of July. And I will be honest here, I really didn't have like a lot of things that I wanted to talk about. Um, July and August are my least favorite months. I don't like being outside in the heat and so I will admit I have let my garden just kind of go. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, there's really not much garden related that I'm going to talk about today. There's one th chicken thing that I'm going to mention. And then everything else is kind of skincare and makeup. And then I am, though, going to go in depth into all of the details about the homestead journal slash planner that I am creating. Um, I am a lot closer now to having it ready to go. And so I have a tentative launch date and also price and also a very special offer for my podcast listeners. So make sure that you listen until the end while I will go into all the details about it. Hello and welcome to season two of the Girly Homesteader podcast. I'm your host, Laura, a girly homesteader living in Xenia, Ohio, with my husband, chickens, bees, and garden. This is my second year homesteading, and in 2023, I am hoping to hone some of the skills I learned in 2022, specifically in the garden and kitchen. This podcast is meant to be a bridge between nature-centered homesteading and the more girly aspects of being a woman, like non-toxic skincare, makeup, and hair care. So if you're looking for a lifestyle podcast that also talks about random aspects of homestead life, like dirty chicken feet, being attacked by bees, monthly garden goals, food preservation ideas, and sourdough that doesn't always rise, you're in the right place and you've found a girlfriend in homesteading. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and get right into the makeup items that I have been loving from the month of July. So first is brows. And the only reason I bought this product is because I was looking for something that was like a little bit less fussy and a little bit easier to do when I was on a trip. So as I talked about on the podcast, we were gone for the beginning of July for the 4th. And on this vacation, it's at a lake. It's very chill, laid back. Normally, I don't really wear makeup much during this trip, but I still wanted to have my eyebrows done for like get togethers with friends and going out to eat the one time that we did. But I was looking for something that would be a little bit like less finicky, I guess. So the way that I normally do my brows is I take a eyeshadow that is matte and is very similar to my hair color, and I will apply that with an angled brush. This definitely gives me like the most definition and the most precise application, and then after that, I will go in with a clear brow gel, but I was looking for something, again, that was just like a little bit less fussy. So one of my favorite makeup brands in the clean beauty world is Ilia. I love their bronzer. Oh my gosh, their bronzers are just fantastic. And I thought, well, well, first of all, I got an ad for their new brow pencil. And what looked so nice about it was that the pencil was very, very fine and very thin. And it was retractable, meaning that you don't have to deal with a sharpener. So when I saw this, I thought, okay, 
I'll get this and try it out for the trip. And I thought, you know, at least if it's not my favorite thing, it'll be helpful for vacations. Well, I actually really like the pencil. <laughs> um, the pencil, like the point of it is very fine. It's again, it's not as fine as if I was like doing my typical brow powder routine, but it is definitely very nice. And once you get the hang of it, you can get a perfectly fine line at the very end, like the last flick of your eyebrow. It just does take a little bit of practice. Um, the color that I chose, I think is called dark brown, and it's a great match for my dark brown hair. Um, I would, if I were you and you want to buy this, I would try to go into a Sephora. That way you can see the colors in person. Um, I did send them a message on Instagram, Ilya, I mean, and um, I did have them like help me figure out which color was best, but that was just by describing my hair color to them. And they suggested dark brown. And so when I went into Sephora, that's the color I wanted to buy. But then when I saw the other ones, like the, I don't know, like soft black or something, I was tempted by that one too. So I, but I do love the dark brown that I have. So anyways, what I'm trying to say is if you are totally unsure, try to go in to a Sephora store. That way you can see the colors um, in person. So that's the first makeup item that I have. And then there's another makeup item that I have been using for a while now, but I have tried a new use for it. And so it is the cream eyeshadows that are by Beauty Counter. Um, Beauty Counter makes these cream eyeshadows. And I'll be honest with you, I was not excited about them at all when they came out because I am not a cream eyeshadow person. I just think they're frustrating and I don't like the idea of using fingers on my eyelids because I just don't have the dexterity. <laughs> I like to use brushes to apply my shadow. And so these cream eyeshadows, they were just not exciting to me. But last winter time, um, with all of their special holiday bundles, they came out with one of the cream eyeshadows that was just a very sheer white shimmery color. And at first, I would use it for my inner corner highlight and it's beautiful for that and it does last a long time there. But what I've started doing is actually using it as highlighter for my cheekbones during these hot months. I have talked about the new balm highlighters that Beauty Counter created. Um, that was earlier in spring. And although they feel wonderful on your skin during the cooler months, during summer, they're not so pleasant. I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, during summertime, when you're already getting hotter and sweatier, having something that is a balm texture on your face just doesn't feel good. So I know that I will go back to those highlighters once fall comes and definitely during winter. I'm excited to have them. But for right now, during summer, when it's like 80 some degrees, maybe even 90, like it's going to be these next couple days. And when it's humid, like I'm just not going to put that balm sort of a product on. But what I have discovered is that using the um, cream eyeshadows that they have, those work great for highlighters. So the way that I apply them that I have found is the best way is I will take the applicator because it's on kind of like, if you can imagine a lip gloss wand, that kind of a thing, like a doe footed applicator. So you take that out and I will put three dots on my cheekbone. And then what I will do is I will take a kind of fluffy brush and then I will stipple that 
out like I'll just kind of tap the brush onto the eyeshadow dots and blend it out until it doesn't look like three dots on my face um and I think they look great they last very long and they dry down so well that you really cannot tell that you have any product on your face so these um eyeshadows they can do kind of double duty and that's the first way then I use it double duty. But then the second way that I use it that's a little bit different is I actually like to use them as eyeliners. Um, so eyeliner is where I have had a big struggle finding like fun colors in the non-toxic, like organic, you know, whatever, cruelty-free, clean beauty world. Eyeliners are tough. Everybody just comes out with black and brown. And although those are great basics, I like shimmer on my lower lash line and finding lots of different colors that are shimmery or, you know, satin kind of things. It's just hard to find. And so once I started experimenting with the lighter colors of the cream eyeshadows as highlighters, I thought, oh, what if I use the darker ones as eyeliner? And they work great and they last a very long time. Now, I will say though, the darker quote unquote colors that Beauty Counter makes, they're really not that dark actually once they are applied to your skin. So for some people who like very subtle lower eyeliner, that's great. But for me, I like to have a little bit more definition at the very outer corner of my eye. And so what I will do is I will apply a little bit of black eyeliner. Again, Ilia, they're another great company like the... Um, like the brow pencil that I mentioned, they also have a retractable eyeliner pencils and they last a long time. But again, it's the issue of they just have black and brown. So what I will do is I will take the black one and I will put just a tiny bit at the very outer corner of my lower lash line. And then what I will do is I will take the applicator of the Beauty Counter Cream eyeshadow and I will run that along my lower lash line as my eyeliner. I'll start kind of in the middle and then I'll work my way out and that automatically blends in with the black eyeliner and I get like the perfect like gradation of color um, from the center of my eye towards the outside. So those cream eyeshadows, even though I was very skeptical of them at the beginning, they are actually really wonderful. Now, will I continue to use them as highlighter once the weather gets colder? No, probably not, but I will definitely still continue to use them as my liner on my lower lash line. So one more thing in the kind of beauty world to talk about, and that is another beauty counter product. So I know that probably during winter time, I talked about the Lotus Glow Cleansing Balm by Beauty Counter and how I discovered that it was a lot easier to use, I guess, than my typical oil cleansing that I was doing before, just because it does have an ingredient that helps to emulsify it from my skin. And I was continuing to use that throughout spring and the very beginning of summer, but then I just kind of realized, you know, I'm going through this stuff really quick and that Lotus Glow, sorry, got tongue tied. That Lotus Glow Cleansing Balm is kind of pricey. So I did an experiment. I was almost done with a jar of it and I had one in backup and I was like, you know, I just, I'm kind of sick and tired of buying this stuff. Even as a beauty counter consultant, I was kind of getting tired of buying it. And so I thought, you know, my other favorite cleanser by them 
which is the Cocoa Cream Cleanser. And I'm pretty sure I've talked about it on the podcast before, but it's a very gentle cream cleanser. I thought, what if I try and use it in the same way that I use the cleansing balm? So the way that a cleansing balm is different than a typical cleanser is that you apply it to your face when your face is dry, and then you remove it with a warm, wet washcloth. That is the same way that you would do oil cleansing too. And I'm big fans of those because they are very gentle on skin, especially if you do have a compromised skin barrier like I do because I have rosacea. So anyways, the Cocoa Cream Cleanser is my favorite cleanser to use in the morning. It's super slippery, it's really lightweight, and it's very gentle, and it's non-stripping. It doesn't foam, and so that is how it is semi-similar to a cleansing balm or a cleansing oil, the fact that it doesn't foam up. And so I thought, let me do an experiment here. Because if you look at the prices, (laughs) the Cocoa Cream Cleanser is dirt cheap compared to the Lotus Glow Cleansing Balm. It is a little bit more of an intense cleanser, I would say, just in the sense that it might leave you feeling a little bit more squeaky clean than the balm. But anyways... I decided to experiment and I decided to use that cleanser in the same way. So I would apply it to my face with my hands being a little bit wet. I would rub it in and then remove it with a washcloth. And it works great. (laughs) And it's so much cheaper. It's just fantastic. Now, as I said, does it give me a slightly deeper clean than the Lotus Glow Cleansing Balm? Yes, it does. So will I be able to continue this into the deep, deep, like cold of winter? I'm not sure. But at least right now during summertime when it's hot and I want a little bit of a deeper clean, but I still like the feeling of using that washcloth on my face. It is a fantastic option for cleansing and it is so much cheaper. And honestly, it really is about the same price as anything that you could pick up at the drugstore or Target or whatever. So I'm going to put links to all of these three things in the show notes. So that is the Ilia Brow Pencil, the Beauty Counter Cream Eyeshadows, and I'm I'm going to put a link too to the Ilia um the Ilia Eyeliner just because I do use that as well. And then I'm going to put a link to the Cocoa Cream Cleanser in the show notes too. Um and as with all skincare products, I will gladly give you samples of things if I have them, okay? So This is my favorite cleanser. I have a lot of it, and so I can definitely give you samples. It's a wonderful cleanser. It has a great price point. And honestly, the only reason it has such a good price point is because it's just not in as fancy packaging as the other products the Beauty Counter makes. That's how the Cocoa or the the Counter Start line is. The two products are fantastic, both the moisturizer and the cleanser. It's just that they are in more like... I don't want to say cheap packaging, but just not super fancy packaging. And so it's a great product on the inside, um, but you're just not having to pay for fancy packaging. So anyways, I highly recommend that cleanser from the line and I will put a link to it in the show notes. So next thing that I want to talk about is related to chickens. So as you know, I have converted my coop into sand and I love it. I really do. I've figured out my groove of how often to clean it and just everything that goes into it, you know, like what additives I have to put in there, stuff like that. But what I hate is having to deal with pine shavings, 
in my nest boxes because what the chickens do is they kick out all the pine shavings into the sand. And so I'm scooping out pine shavings. So I had been on the hunt for something that I could replace the pine shavings with. The first thing I tried was an absolute failure. <laughs> um, I was scrolling Instagram and I saw someone recommend these like plastic sort of astroturfy looking nest pads that you could cut to the size of your boxes. So again, they're plastic. And the concept here is that you never have to throw them away. You can just rinse them out and, you know, put them back in. Well, they were disgusting. If anybody pooped on them, they just like the holes that was in, that were in the plastic, they weren't big enough where you could easily spray stuff out. Like I feel if I actually wanted to have them clean, I would have had to like put gloves on and pick out the poop and like feathers got stuck in there too. And they were disgusting. I'm not even going to put the link in the show notes to them because I really thought they were terrible. <laughs> I hate to say it, but I did. So after that, I went back to pine shavings and also they really pissed off my chickens because <laughs> they're definitely not comfortable to sit on because it kind of like feels like AstroTurf, like I said. So some of my chickens, like they laid eggs in there, but then some of the other ones like totally boycotted them and they were laying eggs in the sand. And actually one of them, <laughs> I had a broken egg in there one day and I think the chicken like literally was trying to keep their feet out of the box, but like aim their butt into the nest box. But then it, they ended up laying the egg right on the corner of the nest box and it cracked. So they were not happy about them. Did it break some of my broody chickens? Yes, I did. But with the mishap and the dirtiness and the nastiness, I just was like, no, thank you. So I threw those out. So I went back to pine shavings. The chickens were happy, but I was not happy about the pine shavings being kicked around into my sand. So I finally bit the bullet and I decided to try the nesting pads by Eaton Pet and Pasture. If you're on Instagram and you're in the homesteading world, you've probably seen people recommend these. They are nesting pads that are kind of made out of like a, I don't honestly don't know what they're made of. I don't know if they're made out of hemp, but it's kind of like a straw-ish sort of a Easter grass <laughs> kind of looking thing. They're not made of plastic, but they are real fiber. But this fiber is kind of stuck together in a way. That way the chickens can't scratch it out. And so because of that, it's a lot cleaner and you can keep them around for longer, I would assume, um, but then you can replace them once you need to. So I put these in my nest boxes, and I will say they are wonderful. They're nice and cushy, so I don't have any broken eggs. The chickens still enjoy them, and because they're not loose, it's really hard to describe what they're made of. Um, like, okay, so this might be something that nobody knows what I'm talking about, but sometimes you can buy angel hair pasta, like in what they call these little nests. That's almost what it's like. It's just that it's not hard like pasta. It's like a straw-ish sort of a thing. So anyways, it's like stuck together so they can't scratch it and pull it apart. They can kind of wiggle in there and make it a nice comfy shape for them to lay an egg, but they can't make a mess with it. So my chickens are enjoying them. I am enjoying them and I will definitely be repurchasing them. So I'm going to put a link to those in the show notes. 
And now after the break, I'm going to talk about a good recipe to use up zucchini. <laughs> and then also I'm going to go into all of the details about my homesteading journal. And I am so, so excited about it. And it definitely is a favorite for the month of July, not just because I'm putting so much, you know, love and effort into it, but because it is actually super helpful. And I really like the way that I can plan out the fall garden so much better than what I was doing before. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Grubly Farms, the brand of chicken food and treats I use for my own flock. What's always been important to me is making sure my girls get a non-soy protein source, but Grubly Farms takes it one step further by using food waste to raise the black soldier fly larvae that they then turn into insect-based protein. This is way more natural for chickens than the fish-based food I used to use. Grubly Farms is also higher in calcium than other feeds because it is made of insects, and I've definitely noticed stronger eggshells because of it. My girls go crazy for the crumbled food, but you can shop all their products with a link in the show notes, and you can get 25% off your first order by using the code GIRLYHOMESTEADER at checkout. All right, so first of all, let's talk about zucchini. So I do not like zucchini. I really don't. Um, I mean, they're fine, but like I don't grow zucchini myself just because I know that even if we had one plant, it would probably be too many zucchini. Now, maybe next year I would try one plant, but that's it. But honestly, zucchini is just, and summer squash, like the yellow ones, those are just very, very low on my priority list. Um, Whenever we would get them in our CSA boxes before we started trying to grow all of our own food, they were always what would get eaten last. And a lot of times they would go bad because like, I don't mind it grilled on a shish kebab, but I can probably only tolerate that like two, maybe three times during the summer. And then after that, I'm done. But what I want to share with you is the recipe that actually makes me go out and buy zucchini. <laughs> Um, someone I follow on Instagram, actually, her name is Mallory. She is one of the brain trust members that is helping me design the homestead journal. Um, she put out, you know, a little question box on Instagram asking for zucchini recipes. And so I sent this recipe to her and it got me really craving zucchini fritters. And so I bought a zucchini from a local farmer specifically to make zucchini fritters. So the recipe I can take no credit for at all. It was given to me by our neighbors um, and it's a Food Network recipe, but I'm going to give you the rundown. I'm going to link to it in the show notes too, of course, but the rundown is that you will grate your zucchini, like if you were going to make um, zucchini bread or something, and you make sure that you get it really, really dry. My tip here is to grate your zucchini on top of a dish towel and then you um, arrange all the zucchini evenly on that dish towel. Then you lay another dish towel on top of it and roll all that up so it's like in a tube. And then you can roll it up so it fits into a bowl and you can stick it in the fridge until you're ready to use it. Once you are, you unroll the towels, you shake off the zucchini, and you can wash the towels, obviously. Make sure you do it sooner rather than later, though, because they will stink very fast. But then you'll have really, really dry zucchini shreds. So then to the zucchini, you will add some eggs, you will add breadcrumbs, typical stuff like that to make a fritter. But the special stuff 
that is in these fritters is the mint, the feta cheese, and the parsley. Oh my goodness. The mint. Holy crap. It is fantastic in these fritters. So you will then fry them. Um, and I recommend here definitely make tiny ones. The bigger you make, the longer they take to cook, the less crispy they get, and the harder they are to flip. So I would try to make them tiny. And um, I like to sear them in a stainless steel skillet with olive oil. That is my preferred method. But oh my gosh, they are so good. They're definitely kind of a labor of love, but once you have them for the first time, you are going to get addicted. So again, I will put that link in the show notes to that recipe. So, okay, here's all the details of the homestead journal that I have been creating. So, okay, I'm hoping that it will be ready to go and print by mid-August. I'm hoping, if possible, depending on how quick the printer takes, I will have these guys ready to go by the end of August. So the final price, I'm pretty darn sure, is going to be $39. Um, this planner, journal, whatever you want to call it, it's going to be big. It is eight and a half by 11. It is going to be printed on very high quality bleed proof paper. That way you can write on it. You can doodle on it. You can highlight, you can scribble, you can marker, you can do all of the things and it's not going to bleed through. It's probably going to be like 160 plus, maybe even 180 front and back pages. It is going to be full color. It's going to have a clear cover again, full color, and it's going to have tabs. So this is a big journal and it is also going to be disc bound. I have talked about this binding method on the podcast before just because I love my plum paper planner. I still am going to be using that. Definitely. I have ordered my new one for the new year and I'm still going to be using that. But the disc bound option of binding gives you so much flexibility with rearranging things and like looking at different months at a time. I just love it. And that is why I chose that as the binding method for my homestead journal. So what this will enable you to do is use the planner however you want to use it, whether you want to look at just a season at a time or multiple seasons at a time. You can look at the whole year if you want to, or you also have the option to keep both seasons. So like say you're doing your fall garden right now, you would truly be able to put your fall journal from last year in there. That way you can reference them right next to each other and see how things are comparing. So you have ultimate flexibility with your planner because of this disc binding method. So you will get discs with your planner. So again, you'll have the binding of the discs. You'll have probably 180 or more double-sided colored pages. And I think it's just beautiful. <laughs> so of course I'm biased, but I have been working on it, color coding it, designing it, doing all of that stuff. And I think what I am most excited about are the specific pages that go into the planning of the seasons. So I don't know about you, but I, my old way of planning the garden was I would use a typical like calendar layout in a planner. So like a double page spread of a calendar. 
And I would write down like my recommended dates and I would count backwards, you know, for my first frost date, do all of that stuff. But honestly, I hate flipping back month to month through my planner, trying to look at all the dates at once. I think it's really, really frustrating because in my mind, I'm thinking about the fall garden as a fall garden. I'm not thinking about things month by month because I, off the top of my head, can't remember if my fall cabbage has to be planted in July, August, or September. I have no idea. I just know that I'm getting it ready for fall. And so this planner, it has sections not just by months, but also by seasons. So at the beginning of every season, there's probably like 16, 17 pages that are dedicated to just planning out and record keeping for that season. There's specific spreads to figure out when you need to start things, also to document your seed starting and um, different layouts to plan out that season's garden to keep track of the specific seeds even that you want to use in that garden because I know that's something that I'm bad at too. I'll buy all these varieties of seeds that are like specifically to be cold resistant or heat tolerant or whatever and then I'll write down what the heck I'm using. <laughs> so this way you'll be able to keep track of what seeds are for which season as well. Because I know that most of us too, if we're buying seeds, we're generally buying them for a season at a time. Sometimes you might buy them for a whole year, but you at least probably have different ones for different times a year. And so that will help you organize everything, everything. But honestly, I think my favorite page of it is the page that is the beginning of every month and also every season. Because what it is, is a summary page where you can write down your notes from the previous year and then also what you are doing that year and then write down the summary for that year all on one page. That way you can see everything all at once. Because I know that like my notes from last year, I was keeping them, I was keeping notes like I'm supposed to, but I would never actually reference them because they were somewhere else. And so now that I have a page in my planner that prompts me to actually like take the time to write down the notes and like, you know, go back and forth, it just makes so much more sense. And then I also don't have to keep all those pages lugged around in my current journal. Hopefully that all makes sense. And obviously, you know, you can keep your records from the previous years, but I think it's really, really helpful to have it all summarized somewhere. So that right there is honestly my favorite page. And then probably my second favorite page is the one that I mentioned before. So instead of doing a whole calendar layout to map out my seed starting and my direct sowing, what I have created is a page that is kind of like a list. We're at the top of the page. You write down the recommended dates for that season based off your first or last frost or your Persephone or whatever you would like to use. You write down those dates. But then below that, there is a space where you can write down your specific plan based off of your microclimate and also the different types of season extenders that you have. Because I know myself, I have my nice greenhouse plastic that allows me to extend my season quite a bit later. And so because of that, I have more flexibility than what is just recommended to me by the almanac or just by counting backwards from my last, my first frost date. So it allows you to write down your dates, but then also keep track of the successions that you want to do. 
because I know that like, yeah, at the beginning of the season, you're thinking, oh, sure, I'm going to plant greens every two weeks. But then you get halfway into the season and you're like, shit, what was I supposed to be doing? And this is a way where you can go back, you can see it all on one page and you can just actually keep up on what you want to do. And actually, that brings me to the other part of the planner that I forgot to mention. At the very, very beginning, there is also a whole year summary. And I think the coolest page that I have created for this section is the overall like overview of your year, your growing goals. And so what this page has is a column for each month of the year, and then the rows going down are every single potential thing that you want to grow that year. Because I know for most of us, we have the most energy and motivation and excitement for the garden at the beginning of the year in like January or February. We've had our break of from winter, the holidays are over, and we're starting to get excited for the new growing season. So at that time, you have all of this excitement, all of this motivation, you can think of all the things that you want to grow. And what that allows you to do is to map out your entire year with a very general overview. Like say, for me actually, I totally forgot that I could plant peas in the fall. Completely forgot. And I totally forgot to put it in my plan. And that's because we're in the middle of summer when we are most overwhelmed with the garden and they just slipped my mind. But if at the beginning of the year, I would have planned it out and thought, oh yeah, I can plant my peas in the fall too. I would have known that and I would have planned it out. So this yearly overview, you'll essentially just like put a check the box of the months where you want to grow these things to at least be harvesting or growing. And then it just allows you to later in the year at the busy time, you can just look back at the, that page and you can say, oh yeah, I'm going to grow this. And you can continue to document and plan it out as needed. So there's, there's just so many pages. Like I said, it's probably going to be like 180 pages of full color, beautiful, color-coded, just beauty. <laughs> I know I, again, I know that I'm biased, but I really think that I'm creating something that is going to be so, so helpful. So as I said, the final price of it is probably going to be $39 with shipping included. Maybe I'm really not sure. It just all depends on how things go. But what I want to offer you though, is an opportunity to get this at another pre-sale. I know that a couple podcasts back, I mentioned the first pre-sale that I did. I was looking for kind of investors in a way um, to help me create the final pages and give me their input. That is closed. I have all of my investors. I have all my minds in the kitchen, like or cooks in the kitchen is what I'm trying to say. Um, but I am looking for another group of people to order it pre-sale. That way I can get a better idea of how many planners I need to order for my, you know, my first order of prints. So what I would like to offer you as a podcast listener is a discount code that gets you the journal for $9 off the final price. So if it is $39, which I think it's going to be, that means that you will get it for only $30. So I will put a link to it in the show notes. But if you use the code podcast at checkout, you will get it for that discount. So I'm not sure how long I will keep this offer going. It'll probably be at least until mid-August, but that's probably about it. So again, the code will be podcast and you can enter that at checkout and you will get it for only $30. So 
Um, if you follow me on Instagram, you will see in my stories all of the sneak the sneak peeks that I'm posting about it. Um, but I just, I truly am so excited about this planner, about this journal, whatever you want to call it. I think it's going to be so helpful, so beautiful, and also just really customizable too, because you can put in whatever other pages you want. You can organize it however you want to. And because it also, it's just made it to show that the garden and this homesteading lifestyle is just cyclical, you know, like it just shows the beauty of the year. And so to me, I think it's very in tune with nature. And another page that I have in there too for every month it's just a page to write down your observations because I know that for us, sometimes we just, you know, you go, you go throughout your day quickly on autopilot and you don't take the time to really stop and just like observe what's going on around you. And so it has a page where you can just write down what's going on. Like say you see your first, um, oh, like your first wildflowers blooming early in spring or something like that. You know, you can just write down any little observation you have around your homestead. So it'll hopefully help you get more in tune with nature and the cyclical, the cyclical aspect of homesteading. So again, I'll put a link to that in the show notes and you can use the code podcast to get it for only $30. So thank you so much for listening. And next week I will talk about my goals for the month of August. Thanks for listening to the Girly Homesteader podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you want to share more in my journey, follow me on Instagram at the Girly Homesteader.